All right, we're in the middle of a series. Actually, last week was our intro. Here's our series, How to Ruin Your Life by 40. We're launching into the first of our topics tonight on education and learning. So let's take a look at where we are. This is kind of the roadmap. Last week, we covered the intro, why even talk about this stuff. Tonight, we're talking about education. Coming weeks, we're talking about career, money, marriage, ministry, all of these things. As I told you before, this is meant to be a very practical series really governing some things in your life, like how can you ruin your life? Somebody asked me last week, what does it mean to ruin your life? And I think that's a fair question. Let's give it a definition. There's kind of two definitions going on at the same time, so I want you to kind of use both of them. One way to ruin your life is really, in the literal way we mean it, to just screw up your entire life. So there's that as kind of a subtext going on. That's one option. The other one is to ruin your spiritual life to ruin your spiritual life and your desire to make an impact for the kingdom. We're kind of talking about them simultaneously, but the reason I bring it up as a definition issue is because it's obvious that some things will ruin your life, other things will ruin your spiritual life, and some things will ruin both. And I want to talk about them interchangeably a little bit, but I want to put that caution out there that sometimes we might be talking about something and you go, well, could that ruin my spiritual life? It's like, well, that's what we're here to talk about. Last week was a lot of me talking. This week, I hope it's more of you talking. Here's where we started last week, just to review and bring you up to speed. The reason we're doing this series is because we're not talking about what happens to you when you're 40. Actually, what we're talking about is what you do in your 20s that will affect your 40s. What you do now makes a difference. Look at this. 25% of the people who started off with some sort of relationship with Christ at the end of their teens made it to 29 when you look at the statistics about people in their 20s getting to 40, about 10% are still making an impact for the kingdom. 10%. That means 90% of the people just kind of dropped out. If you're going to walk away from the Lord or walk away from the church, the time that you're most likely to do it is in your 20s. And we put up this final point up here that what we do in our 20s affects the rest of our life. That was kind of the foundation of where we started. The second thing we wanted to make sure we made clear right from the start is this is not a talk about salvation. This is not a talk about how to find Jesus. This is actually, we're assuming two big assumptions. The first is that you kind of already know the road to salvation through Christ. And I know that's an assumption. It's a generalization. Some of you are still checking it out, and that's okay. But I'm making that assumption for the purpose of this series. And the second assumption I'm making is that you don't want a life just kind of wasted. That you want to make an impact in this world for the kingdom that we belong to. I'm making those two assumptions. And they're not true for every single person, but you got to go with me on this because if those assumptions aren't true, then really a lot of what we're going to talk about is not going to make a lot of sense. So let's start there, okay? Second point we've made is that God's given us a lot of freedom to choose. You're going to see tonight, we're going to be talking about how to use your freedom in choosing education. There's no right answer. I don't believe. We just finished a nine-week series on how to figure out God's individual will for your life, and we concluded that in the end, at least the consensus in the group, it's a matter of freedom for you to choose wisely and with responsibility, and that there is going to be a moment when we make account to God where he says, I want to make account with you for what you did with the talents that I gave you. Tonight we're going to be talking about the talent of education. How do we invest that talent? But we have freedom, and I want to hear from you about how you want to do it. And lastly, of course, I said almost every choice we make has a consequence. And for almost every action, there is a reaction. So let's talk about that in the context of education. Here's tonight's quiz. Which of the following decisions made in your 20s will affect the rest of your life? Here are your choices. Whether or not to go to college, 
what you study or studied in college, how much you pay or paid for college, what you study after college, or all of the above? What's the right answer in your mind? Which of these will affect you for the rest of your life, a decision that's commonly made in your 20s? Which one? A. A. Whether or not you go to college affect you the rest of your life? Why? Yeah. Well, you know, hopefully you'll graduate and then you'll get a degree and you get a better job. If you don't go to college, then you have a lesser risk of getting a better job. All right. Philip? Well, I think all of them can affect the rest of your life. Not necessarily all of them will. Okay. So you're quibbling with the word will. Yeah. Yeah, because you think that some things won't affect you. Some things could affect you, but not everything will affect you. All right, anyone else? Yeah, Joseph. I think it's all of the above. You think it's all of the above, which is usually the answer on any time they give you all of the above, right? Maybe we should have put none of the above, don't know, like all the other ones they put on the standardized test, you know? Yeah. Put the word Jesus, which is always the right answer in every Christian group. Jesus, right? Even if it doesn't make sense, the question, that's the right answer usually, right? All right. I'm going to make a case that all of them do. But here's what I want from you tonight. Last week was intro. Today, you get to push back. I'm going to say some things that might bother some of you today. And I want you to be bothered, and I want you to push back. If this series doesn't bother you a little bit, then you don't understand the depth of it yet about how it could ruin your life. Some of the decisions you've already made, by the way, are already affecting your life. Maybe you don't want to, maybe you don't want to deal with that. But before we do that, let's read some scripture together. I want to read from the book of Daniel. All of you who brought your Bibles, open up. Wow, listen to all those pages turning. All right, look at the PowerPoint. Daniel chapter 1. It's Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. The context we're in is we've just seen Babylon invade and take Jerusalem into captivity and all who are in it. The nation of Judah is now in captivity. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect Handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the chief official, gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Maybe you've heard the stories of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And here's the beginning of their story and the beginning of their introduction in the Bible. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kind. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better 
than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. This is a picture of people who are even in captivity and even when their own faith has been taken over by the Babylonians and they're being schooled in the literature and the arts of the Babylonians and all of their schooling. They're desiring to grow up to be smarter than all of those around them. And God gives them that knowledge and wisdom so that they distinguish themselves, as you see here at, at the end, that the king found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters. Those are the people that the king would normally turn to. Here's some more scripture to look at. Luke chapter 2, the story of Jesus in the temple. We pick up when Jesus is 12 years old and his parents are taking him to the temple. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxious searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. An Old Testament passage and a New Testament passage looking at the importance of our education and our understanding and our knowledge, not just of biblical texts, but of also even the culture and the literature of the time. So I go back to this question again. Which of these is important? Which of these things will affect the rest of your life? Let's take them one by one and find out from you guys. Whether or not to go to college. Some of you have already made that decision. Some of you are still making it. Some of you are in it right now. How does this decision affect the rest of your life? You championed it. Why do you think it affects the rest of your life? It's kind of one of those decisions to where it's like it's, without a degree, it's just a lot harder to, in this day and age, really support, you know, um, as far as the opportunities. Like, if you have a degree, it opens up a lot more opportunities for you than if you don't have one. Um, it just opens up a lot more opportunities for you to be financially um, more available, I guess, you know. And, uh, okay, Jill? It's going to pretty much say the same thing about earning potential. Um, I think not having a degree severely limits your earning potential, and also probably the people you would meet um, in terms of networking and in terms of just pursuing other interests after college in your field. Why does God care about that, by the way? Why does God care about opportunity? That was one of the key words you brought up, and you brought up earning potential. Why, I mean, if you're looking at it from a Christian worldview perspective, isn't that something that the world cares about? Shouldn't we, like, not care so much about opportunity and earning potential? Why does that matter to God's people? That God can use anyone or anything, but the more opportunities that his people have or the more potential that they have, the more he can use them and the the more they can be used in a sense that I think like if you go to college you 
lend yourself more to God being able to use you to accomplish something he might want to accomplish. Such as? Well, like, for example, with Daniel, you know, like, the fact that they, they were already learned and already, like, taught, like, they had been taught stuff already, like, they knew what they were talking about, and then God gave them even more wisdom and understanding, so they get the positions of power, and you saw, like, Daniel was influential with that, the whole Babylonian Empire for a good period of time because of that. Okay. That's true. If you follow the history of Daniel, it's one of the reasons Daniel does become valuable. You have a contorted look, so you don't agree. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, I think in society, yeah, okay, a piece of paper might open a door to... Honestly, I knew a lot of stupid kids in college when I went to college, and I know a lot of kids that didn't go to college that make less money than people that... Um, or that didn't go to college that make more money than people who went to college, and... I think it has to do with individual drive. My dad didn't finish college, and he's doing amazingly well. He's like a genius businessman. I know a lot of people that didn't go to college that are self-made. So it comes to intellect. If you're a smart person and you have the drive, you're going to make your life work. And if you don't have the intellect and you don't have the drive and you're only book smart, then cool, you have a piece of paper that will get you some kind of job that might start you off at 50K and you'll be all right, you know? Okay, so you say it's summarizing. You don't think it's the only factor? You think it's some factor? I mean, it might be some factor in our society, but I honestly think that the biggest part of being successful in life has to do with your drive and your willing to learn, whether it be self-learned or, or college-taught. I don't think choosing college is going to have the biggest impact. I mean, obviously, if you want to be a doctor, yeah, you have to go to medical school or something like that, but... Um, or to be a lawyer, you have to learn about all the laws, but everything else, like... All right, people agree, disagree? What do you guys think? Cody, go ahead. I, I think, like, anything you do, like, it, it's, it's an investment. So, like, college, if you're pushing towards, like, an ultimate goal of, like, a job or something, then you're investing in learning about that. Whereas, like, if you're working, like, in a restaurant or something, you're still investing of yourself, um, learning, like, a trade or learning about things, and you work your way up and become a manager and all this stuff. Like, I think ultimately it just has to do with, like she was saying, by your drive, but also just, like, you have to put time in investing to learn something, whether it be through college or whether it be just through life experience. Like, but do you think college gives you any other investment opportunity that just working really hard won't? More than others kind of need to. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about what you study. Jeremy? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, there is more college than business, medical school, and law school, though. Um, particularly fields in the arts and humanities. Things like English, things like literature, things like philosophy are not, uh, history or theology are not simply things you're book smart about. I mean, they have severe implications for how we all live our lives, for how we think, for how we lead church. And so I think that you, one may have drive, but without direction, without the supporting material, those types of things that you can learn in a college setting. Um, again, it's, it's only more useful to have information. It's only more useful to study and to read um, and to put a part of your life away for some time to really you know, engage ideas and concepts. And, um, but there are, there are other things besides business and medicine and law which require okay. education. I knew tonight was going to bother some of you, Ashley. Historically, the way our well, the way our society continues to go, it's pretty much going to be impossible for you to really survive the way we as a society expect people to function if you don't have a college degree. Like the way 
uh, you could equate it now is your college degree is equivalent to your high school diploma. So, I mean, of course, it depends on the person, their drive and everything. There's but some people behind you that are going to kill you in a minute, but <laughs> hold on. I'm going to, I'm, before we go to the militant back, let's go to over here. Did you have a comment, Kyle? I see college more than a degree and a piece of paper. Uh, I mean, I know, I agree that there are many people, they've never been to college and they are successful businessmen and I know personally some of them. However, that's the only thing that they have. They just have money. And uh, college for me, it's not only education. Education and career is one thing. Um, per, and if I may uh, share from personal experience, college uh, made me uh, an open-minded person who would listen to others and explore other perspectives and even other faith. And uh, college education and our college, being at college, uh, give me the opportunities even to see uh, and to know more about Christ, actually. I still believe that college was the reason that, um, you know, lead, lead me to that, so. Um. Okay, let's go in order. Monique? Um, okay, what I'm saying it's not that college isn't valuable. I graduated from UCLA. It was some of the best years of my life. I grew as a person, blah, blah, blah. But you don't need an official university to get that kind of education and that kind of schooling investment. And I disagree that in order to learn and enrich yourself, that you need an actual professor standing in front of you, giving him his, giving his point of view, telling you like how to research a topic or how to learn. You can learn by yourself. I just disagree that an actual piece of paper is going to get you someplace. Ryan. I think that answering the question, uh, I don't think you need to go to college, but it affects you in a way such that you have to go and spend time learning uh, what you wouldn't learn, uh, what you wouldn't learn in college. So it affects you in different ways. Okay, let me let me throw something out to respond to some of this. Some of the things that you guys are talking about are exceptions to the rule, and they're never helpful to use exceptions because, like, somebody may not go to college. Like, you can say, well, Bill Gates never went to college. He's the richest man in the world. Right. There's always exceptions. There's people who, by the way, who go to college and end up doing nothing with their lives. So college is not a magical thing. I agree with some of the sentiment that some of you are discussing. But let's not talk about extreme examples for a moment. Let's just take an assumption on averages. Here's what the U.S. Census Bureau says, that if you go to college, you'll make more money on average, $54,000 a year on average, over $30,000 if you just graduated from high school, over $22,000 if you never graduated from high school. Your lifetime income will be $1.6 million more than somebody who didn't go to college on average. If you go to college, these things will happen to you, statistically, on average. You'll have a longer lifespan, better access to health care, better dietary and health practices, greater economic stability and security, more employment opportunity, greater job satisfaction, less dependency on government assistance, greater knowledge of the government, greater community service and leadership, more volunteer work, more self-confidence, less criminal activity, greater ability to express thoughts clearly in speech and writing, better grasp of abstract concepts and theories, and increased understanding of the world and the community. That's on average. Now, let me take the conversation to a different level. If you assume that these are the opportunities that you were talking about just a moment ago, that you would have, if it's true that on average these are available to people who invest the time and effort to get through college, and I know there's exceptions. There's the stoner who'll never learn anything, and he's in college, right? And there's the genius that never went to college and made you know, millions of dollars. 
But let's talk about on average. If you know those statistics on average, and if they really are available to people who attend college, why should we care? I'm going back to my original question. Why should we care about opportunity, earning potential? Philip started to answer it, but why does this series have anything to do with it? Wes? I think the point we're going for is the more means that we have, I mean, the more money and opportunities we have, the more networking we have, then it's the greater good that we can do. It raises more money, and I can give more to help other people. All right, is giving the only measure? Matt? No. Okay, go on with your point. <laughs> now you tell me what you wanted to say. No, I was um, back to your talk on money and the parable of the talent where it talks about investing it to be financially stable so we can go when he sends us. I think that's kind of what this comes down to. So we can be financially ready and be stable enough so when we need to be used for his good, we'll be ready to go. So okay, Morgan? I think it's more than just the finances. You look at people who Let's take every Nobel Peace Prize winner, for example. Let's take, you know, all those things. Those people are winning peace prizes because they're bringing peace to the earth, <laughs> which is very high on God's uh, priorities, if you will. Um, so it's more than just the finances of giving and giving. Like, there are people who have set up economic uh, breakthroughs that, that are helping to feed people in third world countries, for example. You know, I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, the idea is that. God calls us to glorify him with, his, with our heart, soul, and mind. It's part of the mind aspect of that command, the way I see it. You know, it's, we know so little about Jesus in his early years. What do we know about Jesus? He's born in a manger, and he's being baptized at 30. We have like one story of Jesus in the middle of that whole span of his life that's important. Why did the gospel writers take that one story of Jesus sitting in a temple, asking questions and quizzing and responding to the religious leaders of the time, which, by the way, in that society was the equivalent of the university. That was the highest place that you went for learning, was to sit among the temple priests and to actually learn from the rabbis and the priests and the scribes in that context. Why is that the only story? I'm not going to answer it. just throw it out there for you to think about. That seems to be the only thing we know about Jesus in his youth with that ending commentary about him growing in wisdom and stature from that point forward. Comment? Um, those types of bodies of knowledge that used to occur, like in the synagogue, for example, that aren't necessarily occurring in the church anymore today, but are certainly occurring you know, on college campuses and in seminaries and those types of things. Um, those are things that are also valuable, that enhance the way that we give, the way that we talk about giving, how we lead our lives, how we live our lives, those areas of knowledge you might really only find in more specialized areas, specialized places. Okay. Stephanie? I think you can get information anywhere. You just have to ask. I mean, just you don't have to go to college to find out certain things. I mean, if you're really curious about something, you're going to find a place where you can seek the knowledge. I mean. Okay. Joseph? Um, even though that's true. For me, personally, I was not really curious about anything until I came to college, and then I found out so many things, and then I started becoming more curious about things and wanting to understand, and through college, I've been, like, my worldview has drastically changed, and if I didn't go to college, I think that it would not have changed, and I would have felt comfortable with the place I was at. Okay. How many people did not go to a Christian college? Raise your hands. All right, how many people found that the views expressed by professors at wherever they were did make an impact on their Christianity in some way, maybe negatively or positively? 
Okay. Yeah, I think that's definitely a factor. I mean, this is not an easy answer. There's not like, okay, here's the answer. The answer is go to college. All right. Yeah. Um, I think we can't be afraid to ask questions in that. I don't think we have as strong of a faith. Like as we increase knowledge and know God more and know his word more, that we can't be afraid of what other people think and that those things show us whether our faith is real or not. We might think we have a faith that we may not actually have when, you know, if, if nothing, everyone around you just feeds you this information and none of it's yours. Who says the faith is real and, and you go out somewhere and, you know, it gets scared off or it gets knowledge, you know, too much knowledge comes and you don't believe anymore. Like, I don't know, I don't think we should be afraid of learning um, because it's just a backwards way of looking at faith. Like, God is not afraid of our questions, our thoughts, our concerns, and the other and secular knowledge, to be honest. I, I agree with you, but you do acknowledge probably that there's a lot of people who didn't have a very strong faith that went to, let's say, a secular university, loved a certain professor who told everybody that God was a joke and all this kind of stuff, and they probably thought, well, I believe everything else he says. I mean, why wouldn't I believe this too? I mean, it seems like he's making some points. I mean, there's got to be people who stumbled on that and fell down on that piece. Again, this comes down to this very issue, in my estimation, comes down to a failure in Christian education in the church. And the reason I think it comes down to that is because we do not engage in the type of knowledge anymore that we used to. These are the types of things I think that we're not even dealing with or teaching anymore. It's not just going to the bookstore and buying a book on you know, theology. Okay, what about, what about if you bought a bunch of books? What about if you bought a bunch of books and read them on your own? What's the value of an education above that, Ryan? Okay, this is what I think. <laughs> I think college is good. Hang on, somebody write this down. Wait, this is gonna be <laughs> this is gonna be scripture someday. <laughs> somebody write this down. This will be scripture, Ryan. I think college is good because if you don't have a degree, you're gonna be still closing those doors. Because if you have a degree, even though it's a piece of paper, it's knowledge, it's this and that, you can still have that to where it's like, hey, you know what, this is a minimum requirement for a job. This is this, this is that. So it's like, it's still, no matter what, it's, it's level of experience, it's this and, and, and whatever else that you have. But it's still, if I have that degree, if I have that piece of paper, even if it's just a piece of paper, it's still gonna open up a lot of doors for me if I have that. But I also think that there is some classrooms that the professors don't teach good, and it is up to you to learn. It's still in the classroom. Even if he says read chapters 1 through 20, you still have to go and read those chapters. You know, and you still have to learn and pay attention yourself. So it's still up to us and figure out what we want to do and how we want to further ourselves in this world. Okay. Andrew? Kind of with what he was saying, I mean, um, if two people are up for a job, um, even if you both have the same exact knowledge, even if one was self-made and one of them went to school, the one with the degree is most likely to get it just because they've got that degree. Even if you have the same knowledge. Let me, let me bring it to a close. Stephanie, you can have the last comment, and we'll bring it to a close. Go ahead. It's not just knowledge. It's experience. I mean, if I've been working in the sales you know, field for 20 years, and someone else just got out of school, they might have been doing it for two or three years. Guess what? I'm going to get the job. <laughs> Let's bring this segment to a close. You know my bias. I mean, I've done college and grad school. I teach in two grad schools, but I've also been a hirer. I've been on the hiring side of the table. You're right, by the way, that the person has a college degree who had hired nine times out of 10. Doesn't mean that there aren't exceptions. 
It doesn't mean that you're right, by the way. If he's my cousin, he's getting hired first. But, but, but other, than, other than nepotism, on paper, on paper, you'd be surprised how many people don't even make the cut if they don't even have the thing on paper. There are exceptions. But being somebody who's seen hundreds and hundreds of candidates for hiring, you'd be amazed how much is decided just by the resume value. Most jobs are somebody just ferreting out whatever's going on. Now, that doesn't mean if you know a small shop somewhere where you know the person, you're not going to get in. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying on average, most of it is done just by looking at the credentials before you even interview. There's already a cut being made right from the start. These are difficult things for us because some of us are in the mode of making that decision, but I'll also tell you that from where I sit as an older person who's approaching 40, this, this series is meant to remind me of that constantly. I'm just dealing with my own middle age crisis right here before you. Of my friends that are my age, when you ask them about the things they regret the most about looking back, many of them will cite the fact that they never did college. This is not a go to college talk, by the way. All right, it sounds like it to some of you, but it's not. Because we're gonna talk about some other things that are wrong with college in just a few seconds. The point is for the most amount of people, the answer usually is, Everyone will keep you down. Those doors will be closed. Those opportunities won't be there. That earning potential won't be there. We have freedom, and I really mean we have freedom. But the question is, what do you do with it? If you're one of those driven people and you know you're driven completely, and that college is a complete waste of time, then I hope you're right, because you're going to be rewarded for that. But if it's the other way around, you have to take responsibility for that as well. And all I'm saying is one perspective to think about the statistics seem to go one direction. But let's not stop there for a second. I know it's getting long, but let's go through this. What about what you study there? Does it matter? Let me, let me before we break down into a whole debate on that one, let me just throw out a couple ideas. We're just going to run through these quickly. Is it the same thing to study like world diplomacy as it is to study medicine? For some people, their career path and their life calling demands a certain type of study. For other people, it doesn't matter. You're right. Some people say it doesn't matter. You know what? Most employers say it really doesn't matter what you study. As long as you get some sort of degree, it'll help you. It'll broaden your mind. All right, but think about it from a Christian perspective. If you feel like you have a certain calling or a certain direction you want to go in or a certain contribution to make, a certain investment to make for the kingdom, it does matter. I meet people at APU all the time who are studying like ministry. And I think like, what are you going to do with that degree? It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what they think. It matters what their calling is, what their alignment is with God, because they've got a plan and they're on a path and they've got something they've got to do. When I'm teaching in law school, I meet law students who are thinking, I'm telling them, like, run, go the other way, don't choose this profession. It's not that one is better than the other, it's we have to make wise choices about what we study or what we don't. I mean, look, if you want to be a doctor to help people, you got to go a certain path. You can't just choose something else. I mean, they've laid out what the requirements are. If you want to be a lawyer, you've got to follow the requirements. If God has a totally different calling that has nothing to do with your profession, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it's what you need to pursue. Maybe it's what your contribution is. But either way, you have freedom to invest all of those things into your education the way you want to. It's still an investment. We have freedom and responsibility. There are some people I used to talk to, they'd say, yeah, I'm getting my degree in world affairs. And I think... You're going to grad school? Because <laughs> you have to go on, right? Because what else are you going to do with the world affairs? But you know what? They had a different path. 
And I had to learn that maybe their path wasn't my path. Maybe my world didn't make sense to them and their world didn't make sense to me, but it doesn't matter what I think. I'm not the judge. God has a path laid out for them, and if they're on it, that's great. If they're not, that's up to them and God, not me. How about how much you pay for school? Does that matter? Wes, what do you think it matters? It matters because you can be paying those loans for a long time. Yeah. You know, you can't make any of these decisions devoid of remembering that these are things that God gives us to invest. If you have the capacity to borrow $150,000 to go to school, which is what it costs some people to get through this university. By the way, we're going to revoke our ability to meet here after this talk is over. <laughs> if you have the capacity to borrow that, is it the best investment to spend it in that way? There were students that went to law school with me who were ready to change the world and do public interest law. They wanted to work for the indigent. They wanted to work for the homeless. They wanted to work for women's clinics rights and all these different things. And those are like the lowest paying legal jobs. In fact, they pay lower than most regular jobs. So they came and spent ninety dollars to $100,000 to get their law degree. And when they were done, Almost none of them could do it. It does matter what we spend on our education. In a lot of ways, they were going to spend 10 years paying off those loans by working at high-priced firms just to be able to get back to what they were going to do. And the question was, would you ever go back? The same study was done at Harvard Law School. They asked the entering class how many of them wanted to work in like public interest law. Half the entering class wanted to work in public interest law at Harvard. Upon graduation, 90% of them worked for large firms because they had to pay off the huge loans that they took on. I think it doesn't matter what we do. These are choices that will affect the rest of your life because today, the average college loan is going to be repaid over close to 20 years. 20 years. If you're going to a high-priced private school. But even if you're going to a public school, they're not that cheap anymore. You could be paying it back over 5 to 10 years. That is going to impact what you do. If you're one of the people that I speak to that say, I'm studying ministry because that's what I want to do, I'm worried sometimes about the high cost of debt they're taking on because it's going to prevent them from doing the very thing they might want to do the most. These are all investment choices. We don't think of it in that term. We think of it at the beginning of our 20s like, hey, you know what? It's okay. Whatever I do, it's going to work out somehow. It is. It's going to work out somehow. It might not work out the way it was supposed to work out might not work out the way that a wise choice would have worked out. We've got to be thinking about these things early on. They do affect your decision. If you go to a school and it's very difficult to pay back all those loans, you will be spending most of your time paying them back instead of doing what you really want to do. How about what you study after college? What do I mean by that? Now I think we could all unite on a point where we're talking about like learning doesn't begin or end in college. It's something we should all do. One of the beauty of that story about Daniel, just understanding who Daniel was, and if you read the book of Daniel, you see what kind of influence he had because of his knowledge, because of his wisdom. And yes, God added to that wisdom, but he was also somebody who took seriously the study, not just of his faith, but the story is careful to point out that he learned the literature and all the laws and all that was available to him in the Babylonian culture. Not his culture, but in the culture that surrounds us. It's like the church today. 
Many of us are, as Christians, we're living like in this secular world surrounding us everywhere. Some of us tend to stick and think, all I need to learn is this, just my faith. And I believe that's primary. But we need to be fluent in the language, the literature, the culture all around us to be able to engage people. In my class here at APU, we talk about world affairs, we talk about public policy, we talk about business, that's what we do. One of the students came up after class and said to me, you know, this is really interesting that you're asking us to open up our mind about the world and to know about world events and know how the world influences business across the globe. But I want to go into ministry when I'm done with this class after I get my MBA. And it seems to me like a lot of this isn't really going to apply to me. I thought, what a sad commentary on the way the church is structured today. That we think we're going to live in some sort of bubble and then invite people from the outside and we're going to somehow be able to relate to them when we don't even speak their language. We want them to learn our language. I took the student aside and I said, listen to me. What you have to do is you have to start learning about the rest of the world around you. You can't be a credible person if you only know one topic. You need to be a person who knows about all topics. And I say this to all of you right now because we cannot be credible people. Nobody will care about our testimony. Nobody will care about what we have to say about Christ until we're able to converse about all subjects intelligently. And maybe not every subject in the world, but at least more than just what we know about our faith. If you're a credible person, you can talk about the world. You can talk about politics. You can talk about current events. You can talk about art, culture, literature. You know all of these things. And you build up a credibility so when someone hears you talk about Jesus, you don't sound like a one-dimensional fool. You sound like, well, wait a minute. That person seems to know so much about so many different things, and they seem so credible, and he seems so learned. I can't just dismiss the fact that he's speaking about Jesus. You want more proof? Look at Paul. Look at his life. Look at his missionary journeys. Look at the way he engaged people at their cultural level. The way he stood at the Areopagus when they were worshiping all the different gods and said, you see the unknown God? Let's talk about him. He used their cultural symbolism to introduce Jesus. He didn't walk in and say, oh, this is baloney. I can tell you the true faith. Because he would have sounded like a fool. Paul reminds us that true wisdom is the knowledge of God. But Paul, through his example, did not stop there and cling only to a knowledge of God. Let's end with this. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Whenever people talk about education, it seems like this verse pops up. If we look at this, is this a verse that's a commandment to press forward in our education? Is it a warning against the arrogance of education? Or is it a reminder to seek the subject of our education? Look at this verse carefully. You might not even be focusing on what it says. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of the world rather than on Christ. The reason I bring up this verse at this point and throw that question out there is, I've heard people talk in the church about how the wisdom of the world is foolishness and we should not be following any of it. But the context that Paul was using this verse in was he was appealing to people about 
wisdom founded on Christ. If it's true that you have the freedom to make decisions in your 20s, and I guarantee you they will affect the rest of your life one way or another. Good, bad, maybe very little, maybe a lot. But everything has some effect. And if you're secure in at least the knowledge of God, then I think we should look at this and think, I don't want to be taken by the world, but I also don't want to withdraw from it completely either. I want to have a knowledge, and whether that takes place in the university, whether you're one of those people who's an exception who can actually learn completely on their own and you're driven that way, whatever form it takes, the education and lifelong learning that you do will affect the rest of your life. And to the people who are done with college, you're like, okay, well, this is kind of all academic, no pun intended, because I'm out of college, so I'm okay now. I got my degree, and it was a pretty good degree, so I don't even have to worry about this because I invested my time. It doesn't end there. I'm not saying you got to go on to a master's program or a doctor program. What I'm saying is, and that may be something you do, I'm saying lifelong learning begins at the end of college. Well, I know lots of people that go to college and schooling the graduate students in my class who couldn't find like half the countries in the world on a map. You know, when I gave him that quiz, Matt was there, he witnessed it. It was pretty silly. I mean, I asked him to find Russia on a map. I mean, it's the biggest landmass in the world and they couldn't find it. I asked him to find New York on a map of America and they couldn't find New York. Okay, the names weren't on the map, but you'd figure like maybe they could find that. These are graduate students. It doesn't end with school. That's why some of you non-collegiate guys are like, yeah, yeah, you could go to college and learn nothing. I think my grad students proved that for the most part in some areas. But that's not the point. The point is that it is now about lifelong learning for all of us, whether you've been there or not, so that we could be credible people who could present a defense for the gospel, who could communicate it, and even more fundamental than that, so we can communicate in the language of our day the way Daniel did, the way Jesus did, the way Paul did. This should be our examples in education and the way that we steward, and that's the word I want to use, steward the time, money, and resources that it takes to just be in the educational process. Whether you're on a college campus or not, it will affect everything we do in our testimony and our life story. Let's close up and pray, leave it on that point. Lord, we trust you as the sovereign Lord of the universe, and that means that everything is in your control. We know that you're a God who's so far beyond our understanding that you don't need us to be in any particular place to accomplish your will. That you've already directed our paths, whether we know it or not, and you have taken every part of our lives, and you have molded your sovereign plan all around us. But Lord, we still want to make wise choices and be effective for you. Some of us you have called to places that demand that we walk through a formal education. Some of us, Lord, you've called to other places where we're not going to need that. But all of us, Lord, desire to be more like you, even as a child, teaching and learning, even as your apostle Paul, even as your servant Daniel. We want to be like those people. Lord, will you instill in us the desire to pursue wisdom, to pursue the knowledge of you, and do it evermore for your glory. Pray this in your name. Amen.